Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. All right. Good morning and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. I'm your co-host, Rachel Marshall. I've got Bruce Wainer with me as well. Good morning, Bruce. Morning, Rachel. Um, I know our listeners. Um, like I've said this many times, they 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 don't necessarily um, get that I am passionate about our guests, but um, this guest is somebody I've known for ten years, and Tom and I have worked together, and he has a really interesting take on how to communicate. Um, or how to better communicate within families, which I think is more important now than just about anything, especially when it comes to money, because we talk about how money gets in the way of many, many things for not only individuals, but for families. So I think this is going to be a very beneficial uh, podcast to help people in a way that they probably don't even understand that they need today. So I'm really excited to have Tom on the podcast. Absolutely. And thank you, Bruce, for that great introduction. So Tom Mickler is our guest today, and I'm going to be introducing him in just a moment. But good morning, Tom, and welcome to the show. Good morning, Rachel. Bruce, it's good to be back with you guys again. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Well, we're really excited today to talk about leaving a legacy and specifically from a very specific angle. So if you're in a position of saying, I want to leave a legacy for my children and generations to come, but I'm worried about this gift corrupting them in some way, or I'm not sure how to have the conversation about what this gift even means. We want to help you understand the difference between a gift and a transfer of money and really what that energy is in terms of moving money from one generation to the next. And the reason that we've brought Tom into the conversation today is that he has not only a tremendous amount of experience communicating and helping generations communicate with each other, but also in having this multi-generational dynamic in terms of wealth planning in his work, even with Bruce for many years in his history. So if you're in a position where you're thinking about your legacy, this is a really important starting point because you need the communication to be strong in order to carry that legacy smoothly. So a little bit about Tom. Tom is a licensed professional counselor with over 25 years of experience. So we are going to get that, all of that background knowledge and wisdom from him today. He works as an organizational development consultant and professional facilitator. The consistent themes in his career are working with people from all walks of life. So I'll let him share some of that with you as we jump into the conversation now. But as well, he is a counselor in family counseling. He has done quite a lot of work with the law of attraction, and I'm familiar with some of that work that he has done as well, which is excellent. And then he has done work with numerous organizations. He also is a co-founder of a local nonprofit organization, New Dimension Soccer, and he's just got a huge heart for helping people to really become the fullest version of themselves. So without further ado, Tom, we want to jump into the conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. I'm excited about being able to talk about this. And I'm just going to jump right in, Rachel, if you don't mind. Yes, go right ahead. Uh, One of the other things that my career has taken me uh, into is the field known as energy medicine. And I didn't know anything about this field. I was a professional counselor 
for a good 20 years and I would often sit in my office and think, I don't know enough when it comes to helping people with trauma, post-traumatic tra uh, trauma. Uh, there's talk therapy, which only goes so far. The other alternative in our society is medication. Uh, 2011, I began a radio show. The emphasis of the show was talking with top performers from all walks of life on how to be a top performer and what they do. And I had the good fortune to meet Dr. Aaron Shannon. Uh, her father, Mike Shannon, uh, played professionally for the St. Louis Baseball Cardinals, become one of their announcers. Aaron is his daughter. Aaron is a, a very intelligent woman. She's a PhD uh, from Washington University. Aaron came on my show and introduced the concept or this, this field of energy medicine. Again, I had no idea what she was talking about. What I came to learn was that energy in your body runs everything about you and runs everything in the universe as well, too. And it is the interconnecting phenomenon that actually brings us all together. So this opened up doors for me because one of the things I learned from Dr. Shannon was how to help people with trauma because the body stores that experience. We store all of our experience. And when that trauma is stored, typically what the body does to safeguard us, it becomes hypervigilant and looking for other situations that could re-traumatize us. So that trauma is alive and it's actually, now we understand, stored at the cellular level. So when you're having an experience that you're describing as overwhelming or life-threatening to you, the brain is dumping chemicals into the bloodstream. Those chemicals go and sit on cell receptor sites. So your trauma just became stored in your body. Anytime mm. the body encounters an experience that reminds it of that first trauma, you'll be typically triggered into either fight, flight, or freeze. Okay, uh -huh. so what I learned from Dr. Shannon was using the same acupuncture lines that an acupuncturist would use, tapping on certain points helps to actually move the physical energy that's been stored and, and blocked in your body out. So this opens up a whole new field for me as a counselor. At the time, Bruce and I were working together uh, with families and teachers in Missouri. And Bruce introduced me to an author by the name of James Hughes Jr. Uh, and he is a, a family lawyer. I've never met James myself, uh, read a few of his books. And one of the things that stood out to me was James' discussion about transfers of wealth or legacy, as you talked about it. And what he had observed was that there is such a thing known as the spirit of the gift, that yes. whenever there is a transaction or a gift or a legacy that is being built and something is being handed down or given to the next generation, there is an actual spirit as funny as that may sound, that goes along with that gift or that transfer, depending on how that takes place. Mm -hmm. That word spirit became energy to me. Mm. So reading into further into what uh, James was writing about, he really helped to delineate the difference between a gift and a transfer. And he brought forward Chinese proverb, rags to rags in three generations, whereby if there is not a conversation that takes place between the giver and the receiver, and it's simply a transaction, 
then there is a great likelihood by the time that money typically reaches the third generation down, that generation will deplete that supply of money. So he really keyed in on the importance of having that generational conversation, again, between the giver and the receiver, because there's a lot of different dynamics that flow into that in terms of communication, in terms of what money has meant in, in that family, in terms of whether or not it was ever discussed, in terms of how well a family just shares their emotions. So this really started to spill into my area as a counselor, uh, and that's what opened up some of the doors for my doing some generational planning uh, with Bruce and with some of the clients that we were working with. So that's some of the background there. So I know we're taking your your listeners and your viewers into a little bit different realm mm -hmm. today, but I think this is a very fruitful talk to have, and I, I really credit you guys for being willing to go in this direction. Well, I think, I mean, you have unpacked or you have um, incentivized us with all of these, uh, like you've showed us the tray of all of this beautiful stuff that we want to really dig deep into today. And there's so many pieces, but one is that there is something that happens more than just the money or passage of money between the giver and the receiver, the value and the need for a conversation. Otherwise, it will be depleted in three generations. And then what does that conversation about money and the feelings about money that have happened in that family or the lack of talking about money, how does that play into the conversation? So I think this is just going to be a fascinating conversation. Can you take us a little bit on a quick journey? What has it looked like when you sat in multi-generational planning conversations and meetings with Bruce and his team? What did that dynamic look like? You quickly, I quickly get a picture of what communication has looked like in this family prior to that particular meeting. Uh, probably too many meetings where mom and dad came together with the next generation, a son, a daughter, both, uh, to bestow that gift. And when questioning mom and dad about what they want that money to mean, they really didn't know what to say. Mm. And you could tell that, it, well, I'll put it to you this way, Rachel. Nobody would have ever asked my mom and dad how they felt about things. They grew up in an era where you, it was survival. You did right. what you could to get by. It wasn't 75 years ago that Jewish people that had survived the Nazi prison camps walked out and tried to walk back into their life. Nowadays, we would know that that would not be possible. They would need so much assistance from the emotional side. We just did not know that much about emotion. Ah. Previous generations, like I said, it was survive. You didn't have time to talk about how you felt. Nobody was really asking. So that manifests in too many meetings where it's a difficult conversation. In, typically in an unexpected way, especially for the givers, to be able to put into words what that money has meant for them and what they would like that money to mean for the subsequent generations. Um, so, I, go ahead, Bruce. What I found um, when we talked about this, and I can remember one particular meeting that never got actually to the multi-generational because it was an older couple and they were just immediately you know, defensive. And, you know, 
they don't feel, first of all, I think a lot of people don't feel worthy of actually having money, which I think is sad because a lot of times they're, they've already worked hard for the money and they've done it in a, a very amiable way of, of atta- obtaining the money. They didn't do it. They didn't obtain it illegally, but somehow through their um, conversations with their parents or the parents before that, that like you always say, that energy just kind of goes up the chain of command and they feel bad in some respects that they have this money and now they want to transfer it to the next generation and they almost feel bad because we've talked to them about the, you know, let's not just dump it on them. Let's have a conversation. And now they are defensive. Like, Oh my God, I've screwed this up my entire life. I should have been telling, talking to them about money. I mean, it's a weird thing. They want, they want to actually become, get it, start the conversation, but they've carried this guilt around now because you, frankly, because we pointed it out that you should have been doing this and they haven't. And it's kind of like counterintuitive to them. They, they want to do, have the conversation, but they, now they don't want to because they'll have to admit for the last 50 years they've been messing up the conversation. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head, Bruce, when you talked about, uh, in the way I heard you say, the meaning that money has for so many of us. And I can tell you personally, I carried blockages about money and felt like I never was really deserving of it. I'll share a couple of of quick stories with you. Um, What I came to learn through an older sister was that probably when I was about five years old or so, my sister was seven years older. uh, She recounted to me not that long ago that on Friday night, my mom and dad would sit around the kitchen table and they would worry, talk about their bills and the money they had at that time. And evidently, we as kids were in earshot of that. And it would stress my sister. And I would be in that vicinity as well, too. Now, I cannot remember a single one of those conversations, but I can believe that I picked up on it. Okay, Mm -hmm. And it became a part of the wiring, so to speak, neurologically. There is a term now that's gained popularity these days known as neuroplasticity, Mm -hmm. which means that you can actually change what was thought to be hard wiring of the neuron fields around any particular issue. But I think that became hardwired into me that money was a source of stress mm. and it was never anything we talked about at all at home. So I think that took root in me. Uh, and then fast forward, I'm 19 years old and I'm Working for United Parcel Service, I started at 19. At age 23, I wanted to become a supervisor. I was a part-time dock worker. At the time, I was hired into a position that was paying $13 an hour. And UPS was going through tremendous growth in the St. Louis area. So I started to work a lot of overtime. So 1980 through 83, I'm making $20-plus an hour. At that time, was a lot of money. Oh, sure. So I decided I wanted to go into management. And I remember one day I'm downloading my trucks and our division manager comes down and asked me why, if I was still interested in coming into management. I said, yes, I was. And he wanted to know why. And I told him. Uh, And then he said to me, he goes, now, you know, the overtime that that you were making, you won't be making that anymore. You'll go on salary. And I said to him, that's okay. I never expected to continue anyway. And he walked away and I thought, why did I just say that? Why did I just say that I don't expect this to continue? 
It was great. I was rolling in dough. I was 20 plus years old. I bought two brand new cars within a month of each other for some silly reason. Had money coming out of my ears, but I didn't expect it to continue. I did not mm. realize that those things were indicating a blockage within myself, within my thinking. And one of the things that I've come to, to realize as far as my work with clients, uh, a saying I've kind of coined is that no one consistently outperforms their own belief system. Mm-hmm. I remember so, you saying that. Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> I lived right up to what I expected pretty much, to tell you the truth. So I think a lot of people do that and don't realize it. And then when it comes time to talk about money, they really don't know how to do that. And it has all kinds of different connotations and meanings that they're not even necessarily aware of. So hey, Tom, how, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. So Tom, let's talk about, um, let's talk about uh, what you've taught me over the years about, you know, the energy that you bring into a meeting. And I think that'll be helpful for the listeners too, because that's also a conversation amongst generation is really just a mini meeting, right? I mean, that's really, really what it's about. So um, let's talk a little bit about how um, you can consciously, although a lot of this is uh, subconscious, the energy, but you can consciously kind of bring that um, into your forefront so that your energy level is proper in communication. And then talk about that and also some of the dysfunctional things that you see in attempted communication amongst family members. Sure. Well, I think it starts with a conversation ideally with the givers and exploring with them uh, what the money has meant in their life, how, how they went about earning it, what it allowed them to be able to do. So the focus is on the, the emphasis is on the positive here. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we want to bring forward all the wonderful things that they've been able to do. I mean, money in and of itself is really a, a means to a particular end, so to speak. What, what is it that you want to do? So when I work with, with clients today that want to make more money, my focus is not, because I'm not a marketer, I'm not a social media person on how to get out, get your message out necessarily. I ask them to focus on what is it that you want the money to do for you? How do you want it to impact your life? And I'll ask people to start to picture that visually. See yourself doing the thing you would like more money to do for you. Start to do that thing, actually. So you're trying to create a, a positive energy around their effort and around the accumulation of their effort. And that's what you're hoping can then move down to the next generation. But again, Introducing a concept of energy to a couple in their 70s, you have to kind of be careful, you know? I mean, it sounds like woo-woo kind of stuff. So that's why you try to keep it practical, pragmatic, simple, and help them focus on not only what the money has done for them, but what they would like to see the money do for the next generation. Typically what happens... I love ahead, that you Rachel. bring that out. You're talking about what do you want the money to do? So this is a vision for, yes. and you're also saying that what's the positive side of that? So not just, oh, I have this money or they're carrying around the guilt for having created it in the first place, but they're, they're instead thinking this has afforded me opportunity. This has given me the great things that I have been able to surround around myself in life. So now they're in a different frame of mind 
of thinking about the money that they have created. And now they're able to be visionary in terms of what it's been able to do for them and what they hope that it could continue doing for the next generation. I love that you, you have that vision and the positive element. So I just wanted to and, highlight that for a second. And the thing about it is, as I mentioned earlier, as far as the previous generations, I think a lot of people grew up with the glass being half empty. All right. And I think even now we're raised in a society that brings us into a scarcity mindset. I think mm -hmm. most of us, as we're making our way into early adulthood, into our careers, struggle with the fears of, am I going to make it? Is there going to be enough money for me? Am I going to be able to pay my bills? That's fear mm -hmm. is what that is. Okay. And I think one of the things that it does, it kind of keeps us dependent on institutions and takes us away from our own capability, uh, our own potential that we carry within us. So again, being raised in a scarcity mindset, I meet with a lot of people uh, elderly that, that reflect that. And it's not an easy shift for them to make necessarily to a glass being half full. But really, right. that's what you're trying to impart to that next generation is hope and belief and faith. And, hey, there's a lot of great stuff out there for you. You're trying to build an, a, a mindset of abundance. Mm -hmm. okay? well, Tom, that there is plenty. Go ahead, Bruce. Well, Tom, that we, let's, go, let's go back to like neuroplasticity because I think where you're going with this is, you know, um, because from my, my biology degree, you know, there's certain things that are reactionary and flight and fright is reactionary. And it's, it's necessary biologically. You know, you don't think mm -hmm, when you absolutely. touch uh, your, the hot stove, it actually doesn't go, the, those impulses don't go all the way to your brain. They only go to your spinal cord and you pull back. <clears throat> and then the, the negative, because of the survival, <clears throat> actually has shorter paths in our brain and uh, if you keep wiring those over and over and over, they kind of get like a worn path or in, uh, in your brain, and, and it's hard to shift them out of there. And that's right. why uh, news stories always start with negative because they, they know that they're quickly going to grab the attention and the emotion of mm -hmm. that particular person. Right. And so I, do, I think you believe, though, that we can rewire this through like self-affirmations and talking about it and so on and so forth. So what is a way to get people off of this half, this glass half full and scarcity mindset? What are some of the techniques? Well, they have to become aware of their immediate tendency, their immediate reaction to situations. And typically, they'll know that through the body feel. How does your body feel in a given situation? And uh, some of the financial advisors that I've worked with will have blockages and there'll be situations or conversations that they'll feel tense when that moment comes up. That's their body telling them something. Okay. So another important feature or principle in my field of counseling is this idea of living in the present moment. But the fact of the matter is most of us spend a lot of time in the past. And what I mean when I say that is, I'll give you an example. Bruce, if you were going to go out and learn to drive a car today for the first time ever, all right, that would be a brand new experience and you would have excitement. You would have probably some nervousness. You would have some intrigue, okay? 
if you've been driving a car for years and years, you don't have any of that. You're not even thinking about it. Okay, the body has taken over that experience to the point where your mind's not even involved anymore. But if it's the first time you're going out, you're creating a new neuron field. You have a different set of neuron patterns for each experience that you have in your life. All right? So one of the important things that I'll encourage with my clients is experience new things. Or change your routines a little bit. Take a different route to work. All right? Otherwise, you simply live out of the body. You, you, you step out of living mindfully. And this is what you're talking about, Bruce. This is what sprang the field of mindfulness. Mm -hmm. The idea that if you become more aware of your automatic thoughts and your automatic reactions, then you start to learn that, oh my gosh, those were actually programmed into me and they can be reprogrammed. One of the most helpful activities that you can involve yourself in is meditation, okay? Because when you're meditating, and the challenge with meditation is to shut down that, what I'll call the right side awareness, the right side of your body, which is impacted by the left side of your brain, the logic, the reason, the order, the belief that the world can be ordered in and predicted in a perfect perfect way, shutting that down. So you kind of get rid of the, oh, I have to remember to get milk and eggs on the way home. As you're trying to meditate, you're telling yourself all these things about your daily life. What you're really trying to do is you're trying to move out of a beta wave brain movement. You're trying to move more into alpha where you're slowing things down. Okay. And now in those moments, you can actually start to picture what you'll want your life to look more like. Uh, things you want to see start to visualize but you have to get out of the beta all right the beta so, locks us into the mind and the day-to-day -day life when you move out of that side and you move into the left side awareness now you're moving into creativity all right now you're moving into original thoughts so to speak now you're moving into expression and I think to me then you're starting to really reconnect with who you actually are compared to the programming that takes place on the right side. Being honest with yourself is a huge piece too. You have to get honest with yourself as far as what shuts me down? What am I frightened of? What does my body tell me? When do I stiffen? When do I avoid? Uh, because I think at some level, my experience with clients is they don't want to go into those areas because typically they first developed when we were very young. Again, mm -hmm. nobody grew up in a perfect home. So we had experiences that were, again, my field, the thinking is everybody has some type of trauma. Mm. Okay, so I grew up in a home where my dad could get loud and yell. He never hurt anybody. He never threatened to hurt anybody. But I grew up, I'm, I'm a people pleaser. And I'm thinking I'm born this way. And I, I didn't like it at all. And I finally realized I was programmed that way. I would laugh at your joke before you got to the punchline. When I finally didn't do that, I took the world that had become this and I opened it up. Then I had choices. So you have to get honest with yourself. You have to realize the degree of programming that's taken place, especially around money, mm -hmm. you know, and really come to see that there are things that you can do simply by starting to ask, ask out of it. I want to get out of this. Help me, help me get out of this. Something responds to us. Is what I can tell no, I, you. I think, I, Tom, I think this is good. And, you know, one of the things I've seen um, in not directly related to this field, but 
the thoughts about mental health or depression, you know, where it used to be taboo and now it's kind of more accepted. So hopefully people will start waking up to the fact that, you know, we are being programmed institutionally by a lot of people and uh, on purpose. And, but we've also been programmed um, uh, not on purpose, but just kind of systemically yes. through our families. And unfortunately, they programmed it, like you said earlier, just because they were trying to survive. Right. And they were trying to teach you how to survive. And the only way they knew, and usually was in a negative situation. Right. And, and to reap, you have, I'm so glad you said the self-awareness. As soon as you become more self-aware with what's going on out there, and not only with the thoughts, but your feelings, because that's what you've taught me over the years, you know, how do I feel before I go into a situation? Right. Uh, and to check those feelings at the door, because that's how you're going to become the most effective. It's, you can apply this to not only, you know, money situations, but every situation in your life. It, you really can. And then whether you realize it or not, this goes back to the work of Newton, who described a clockwork universe whereby different bodies in the universe were separate from each other. Einstein comes along and questions all this matter and energy, but Einstein couldn't understand how something could travel faster than the speed of light, how two photons of light could instantaneously recognize each other across a distance. I can ask both of you a question, and I'm pretty sure I know the answer. Have you ever had the experience of thinking about somebody you haven't seen in a while, and the next thing you know, you run into them, mm -hmm. or they call you on the phone, okay? That happens to everybody. What's the scientific explanation for that? There is none. Okay, we, we've not known how that occurs. We're starting to get a better idea now that everything connects through consciousness. So if my thinking about my money is more of a negative bent, and I don't have a conversation with the next generation, I am more likely to pass that kind of thinking on through the neuron field, through experience, just from what comes off of me. The thoughts mm -hmm. that I have in my head don't simply stay in my head. They go into 50 trillion cells in my body, and each cell is a little battery, and I send out a vibration, a vibrational message. We're recognizing we're much more interconnected than we ever realized we were. Well, I so think getting it's, in touch with our thoughts is huge. Yeah, so it's very interesting, and I have no idea if we can even pull all these threads into one, one um, single stream here. But I, So what about for the person who is maybe they're in that grandparent generation, they're realizing I have had some negativity around my idea and my thought about money, but, but you're saying that it's possible that I can move from this scarcity perspective into abundance and I can have this better way of having original thought and creativity and have this mindfulness in not only my money, but also in my conversation with my family. Maybe I'm feeling some tension going into the conversation about how do I want to transfer a legacy to them. And so what can they do now at that point of awareness? Maybe mm -hmm. things haven't been perfect, but I have created this tremendous amount of wealth and I want to figure out how do I give it to my kids? How do I um, use it to help them? How do I use it to do good in the world? How do I come into that conversation where I am feeling a little bit nervous and I'm not sure what to expect? How do I disrupt the dysfunctional communication patterns and make sure that this is going to be a positive conversation. 
One of the things that, that has proven to be helpful uh, in working with givers is asking them to write down on paper what they would like the gift to mean, okay? Uh, and sometimes they'll struggle with that early on, again, coming out of that scarcity mindset and not necessarily being in touch with all the good that the money has done for them. So asking them to focus, put it, put it down on paper. You're not asking them to tell the next generation what to do with the money. But you're asking them to focus on the joy that it might bring. Would a college education for your grandchild bring joy to your children? Uh, would that enable a better, a greater opportunity for them? Travel, what is it that, you know, what experiences did you have that helped bring about a, a wonderful life for yourself or yourself and your spouse? But taking some time before you come to that meeting to do a little bit of writing. You know, I think it'd just be bullet points mm. as far as what you would like to see the money do. How would you like this money to make people feel? And it's okay to point out the rags to rags proverb that if we don't have this conversation, we don't get in touch with this, then this can be gone in three generations and you've worked your tail off to build this. So it's okay that you're honored in this as well. Two, you may not necessarily choose how that's going to happen, but if you can transfer that down as far as what the money's meant to you, and if there isn't this awareness of what can happen, then you know we want to stack the deck in our favor. And I think getting helping people get yeah. in touch with what it means before they actually come to that table. Well, and I think what you're doing is you're taking something that might be so deep inside of their soul I think it's yes. something that we all desire, but bringing it from the subconscious out into our conscious awareness and then out of our mouth. And so I think sometimes that right. process and that journey, I don't know. I mean, it's vulnerable. It can be, um, we can feel that maybe we're going to be misunderstood. Maybe it's not going to be received the way that we want it to. Maybe maybe it's going to create entitlement, but can you distinguish for me, you and I had a conversation before today specifically about the difference between just a transfer and a gift. And when you have a true gift that has meaning behind it, it is a completely different, um, it sets up a different set of circumstances in the receiver. Whereas if they just receive the transfer of money, then then it may not do the good or may create that sense of entitlement or do all of the um, the bad things and corrupt as people would say, which I don't believe that money can corrupt. It just makes you more of who you are. But how do you make sure that that transfer is really does that most good as opposed to being a gift, not just a transfer? Well, I'm recalling some of the examples in uh, one of the books by uh, James Hughes Jr. And he was describing what he was referring to as a transfer, whereby every year mom and dad would send $20,000 at the end of the year to each of their kids. And at first the children would send a thank you card. And then after a few years, there was no card. There was no Thanksgiving. It became just an expected type of thing. And then one year in particular, uh, mom and dad were late and one of the kids called up and complained that they hadn't received their money yet. Mm. So that kind of experience where, again, you know, I appreciated what you said a minute ago as far as how do we take this great big field of energy that we're talking about and boil it down to a practical level, especially for your audience here. Again, it comes back to that conversation. And I do more educating now 
than I used to as far as these dynamics are concerned in helping people see the difference between a transfer. There's, I'll put it to you this way, in a transfer, there's not much human contact. There's not much emotion that's being shared, so to speak. There's not a discussion, again, kind of saying some of the same things over again as far as what the money's meant to us, how we earned it, what it, what it, who it helped us become, and what we'd like to see it do for you. So uh, the gift was the idea that Hughes was trying to bring out that when you have that emotional component and that sharing, as difficult as it may be, you've just started to stack the deck in, in the favor of that money, being able to supply some of that, that experience that you'd like to see happen for the generations. But otherwise, if it's not, and I think Hughes also, I remember in one book, talked about you know, professional athletes that came from backgrounds or that come from backgrounds where they weren't used to money. There's a mindset that goes along with having had money in generations compared to one that has not. And he mm-hmm. talked about the number of athletes that all of a sudden have a huge entourage around them, people that want to eventually ultimately have their hand in the pocket as well, too. And, and that particular athlete, and I don't mean to be picking on professional athletes, but they don't really have the skills or the mindset as far as how a person coming from wealth might think compared to a person coming from a field of scarcity, if I put it to you that way. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but Again, like I said, I'll do a lot of educating as far as just bringing out specific examples of what a transfer looks like, what a transfer means, and then how that leads to rags to rags. Well, I think that's a great example, Tom, because really when an athlete gets a big payday, it's, it's really, it's a transfer. It, 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 it's beautiful. Exactly what it is. It's You're no, right. It's no different. It's no different than when you just transfer a large inheritance to somebody else. That's and a they, great and point. And they can't handle. They haven't been prepared to handle it, not only fundamentally but emotionally. So that's exactly the same thing that happens to these athletes. Um, I find it, I find it interesting um, when you were talking earlier about older people, older people that, um, and you and I are getting to be these older people, Tom. <laughs> but uh, we all are. What? Slowly. What was that? I couldn't hear you, Bruce. <laughs> um, they have a hard time with this idea of the, you know, the energy that they're um, accepting or putting off. Um, And yet they are, they really want to do things correctly. You know, I think that is a tremendous uh, pull away from their, their feelings. And yet, and now you have what I would call, you know, and of course we're, we're generalizing here, but then a younger generation, and I, I frankly think all younger generations are like this. They have a more like, hey, I'm just going to go with the flow kind of thing, you know, and I'm just going to accept things for the way they are. And it comes down to, and I said it earlier in the podcast, it comes down to, I believe, as the older you get, you, had, you end up realizing you aren't thinking correctly, so there's regret. Yeah. So how do you get rid of that, um, that energy of regret? Because I think that is a big thing that blocks people. That is, that is a tough one. It really is because you're taking people into, in, in many cases, into a, a whole new territory. Uh, it starts, I think, with gratitude, asking people to take a moment and just think about you know, some of the things that they've been grateful for in their life. I think 
giving gratitude is a very, very powerful thing to Absolutely. do. And yeah. that and it's as simple, maybe as silly as it may sound, doing something nice for somebody each day. It helps them feel really good or it helps mm -hmm. us feel really good, I should say. Okay. And we start to live out of wanting to do that more and more. And we start to see, oh my gosh, I can have greater impact. And it doesn't, age doesn't matter, obviously. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're breathing, you're still, you still have work to do, so to speak. Uh, you Absolutely. still make impact. So taking some time, thinking what you're grateful for. Maybe with some clients, I'll encourage them, take a minute before you go to bed at night. Take a look at your day. Who are you grateful for today? What were you grateful for happening? How did it impact your life? It doesn't have to be 15, 20 minutes. It can take place within under a minute. Small things that you can do for yourself that start to change this here, your thinking, okay? And start to move you out of a glass half empty kind of mindset into one of glass half full and particip greater participation maybe. Because I think a lot of us grew up, you know, I'm here, you're over there. You know, we can be nice to each other and do some nice things from now and then. But typically we lived at a distance, so to speak. Uh, a little bit more involvement, and especially in this world today, you know, small acts of kindness are huge with everything that we have going on. So I don't think there's anything wrong in taking this conversation and putting it into the present day context of demonstrations and a virus and all the uncertainty and mm, fear. Absolutely. Small things are huge now, you know, and they yes. can help to start to transform internally, you know, what we have lived out of for so long. And I'll tell you what, it can be amazing. We live with generative, generative processes within us. And when we activate those, we can actually start to move into a different mindset pretty quickly. And we feel good, we feel better throughout the day, and are kind of wondering, how did that happen? So. Well, I love that you share that. And I think if anybody says, I don't need to work on my mindset, I've already arrived, that is the one key to say you need to work on your mindset. <laughs> I think the more mindset work that I do, the greater I realize the value of it. And right. the more I realize that it's a constant repivoting and refocusing and saying, I really do need to focus on gratitude. I really do need to get into meditation. I really do need to think about the world from that abundance perspective because that is the only place that we're creative. That's the only place we can do the most good. And I think kind of really similar to Bruce where your thought, your question and the discussion was about um, removing that regret. Where do you see in this transfer of a legacy, there's not only the person who's created the wealth to begin with, but you see the person who's then on the receiving side. And if you want that money to do the most good, I think sometimes people think I don't have enough money to leave a legacy or I have, I barely have enough to keep things taken care of in my own life. I'm handling my own future income needs. I'm taking care of my kids. I'm taking care of possibly my parents. I'm not going to have anything to have money there after I'm gone. And so this idea of, can I even leave a legacy? That's just for people with a lot more money than me. Can you speak to that for a minute? Because I think that's a really real conversation and concern for somebody who maybe is of my generation or uh, in, in the boomer generation. And they're saying, well, I'm not yet the grandparents, but I want to leave a legacy and I want to build up to that. But how do I think about leaving a legacy 
in terms of do I have enough money? Because I believe everyone can leave a legacy, but I want to hear your thoughts on this. Sure. Well, I think I'll come back to the law of attraction. And, and, you know, the reality is we all have bills to pay and obligations that come front and center every month. And we do, you know, put a lot of focus on those and we can kind of get swept away with, with that and see it to be very difficult that we could actually create or leave a legacy. But I think, again, it starts back to how are we talking to ourselves about it? If we start to shift that thinking into more of, I do want to leave a legacy, maybe it's not money. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's how we live our life, you know? And yet, if we're able to make some kind of a shift there, and I'm going to come back to gratitude again also as far as focusing on on the positive things and exemplifying that or embodying that, uh, I think that that is something that we can provide in greater ways than what we might believe. So I think we have to be open to the idea that I can actually make an impact on the generations below beyond just you know gifts at Christmas time or birthday birthday presents. Uh, it starts with your being. It starts with how you want to be in the world. And it starts with your belief as far as what you can actually attain in the world. Doesn't necessarily mean the publisher's clearinghouse is going to show at your door tomorrow with a big check. But you'd be amazed at some of the things that can actually start to happen. Some of the opportunities that start to open up. People make most of their money in their given field. Okay, They don't typically make it at the racetrack or the stock market. Some people are very good at the stock market. Uh, but typically, you're going to make most of your money through what you do for a living. Mm-hmm. And creating new opportunities, uh, making yourself the best you can be at what you do, or improving yourself in what you do, you know, probably goes a long way towards creating more opportunity. Chance favors the open mind, so mm-hmm. uh, it's 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 going to come back to mindset. We're we're perceivers. We're perceiving every instant that's just occurred. All right, so start there and start to picture uh, yourself as as a powerful person, as a creator. And in this particular instance, yes, you can leave a legacy. Uh, if nothing else, by knowing that you want to be a person of abundance, you want to focus on what has been wonderful in your life and create those things for other people. That's excellent. And I love just that starting point and the admonition even that every single one of us has a great ability to be a powerful impact to the world currently Absolutely. and even beyond us. And so thank you for sharing I think sharing we're all that. being called to do that right now to tell you the truth. That's my feeling, you know. Absolutely. And I I wholeheartedly agree. I feel like that could be a whole other conversation. So <laughs> how sure. can someone connect with you if they want to learn more about you and your work or connect in and and ask you questions directly about um just how they can remove those blockages and and move into a position of abundance. Can I just give out my cell phone number? Yeah, sure. I mean, tell you the truth. Text is usually best. Okay. Uh, I'm at 314-239-4484. I have a website, Tom Mickler Counseling and Consulting. But I believe that, well, I'll tell you this, Rachel. When I started to get into the energy work, there was a shift that occurred in the clientele I was meeting with. All of a sudden, it seemed like everybody coming in the door was interested in talking about energy. I was attracting them by my focus. 
So I believe and that, you know, I think social media and, and advertising and marketing are important things as well, too. But I believe the most, power, the most powerful attractor is what I'm thinking right here. And if I'm putting out that I want to connect with people that want to know more with, about this and that want to take this to the next level and, and they're ready to do that, that's typically the most powerful point of attraction for me, especially if I'm excited about it, which I am. So my cell phone number, texting, best way to reach me. That's perfect. And for somebody who's wondering, your last name is M-I-C-H-L-E-R. Tom Mickler, St. Louis, Missouri. Excellent. And that's Tom Mickler, Counseling and Consulting. Counseling and Consulting. Excellent. Excellent. I'd say the phone is the best. I was going to say, but make sure you pick up the phone and text. So thank you so much for just sharing your thoughts and sharing your work and just being present in this conversation today. I think that's one of the things that I appreciate so greatly about you, just that you come energized and fresh into every conversation. And I know that you've done that today. Well, I'm grateful for having a chance to do this work. I love what I do. So, And it shows. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Good to see you guys again. Yes, absolutely. So if you are listening today and you're interested in this whole conversation about leaving a legacy, I want you to know that this is something that we are going to be talking about more frequently. We're doing some work on this specifically to help people really focus on what you can do to leave a legacy to the next generation. Now, if you are interested in privatized banking and you want to find out more about how to store your cash in a better bank for safety, liquidity, and growth, you want to be able to access that capital and use your money in two places to earn a return in two places at the same time and be able to use that to pass on a legacy. Talk to us about privatized banking. You can get on our calendar directly at themoneyadvantage.com slash calendar. We also have a free guide that shares and explains more about this whole concept of privatized banking. And that is at privatizedbankingsecrets.com slash free guide. So just want to make sure that you have those resources available to you. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for joining in the conversation here with the Money Advantage. And remember, in closing, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated, 
and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.